Hello, my name is Eric Siegel, and I am one of the pastors at the Village Church. The following podcast is a ministry of the Village Church. We hope that it inspires you, that it draws you closer to Jesus, and it opens your eyes to the possibilities of living in the kingdom. Enjoy, and God bless. Am I on? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, this opportunity in this space to sing, to listen to one another, to eat together, to experience you as we engage. Jesus, as that happens, we want to thank you for your death and your resurrection, for your ascension and that you rule over all things and that you are sovereign and that you are good and that you work all of the brokenness and all of the heartache and all of the good and happy, joyous things. You work them together to, for your glory and our good. And we thank you for your constant involvement in our life. Holy Spirit, as we wrestle with things and as we enjoy food and as we celebrate and as we cry and as we um, contemplate, I ask that you would give us courage to be vulnerable. You would give us courage to believe what is true, and you would give us courage to speak words of comfort and truth and of encouragement. And I ask this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. So hi, guys. I know most of you. My name's Eric, if you didn't know that, but uh, most of you know, so good to see you. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're in this series called Radical Discipleship. And uh, last week, we talked about radical evangelism, and in the evening service, Jessica um, Dennis, who's my admin, uh, said, this is such a good sermon. If this was a clapping church, we should clap for it. So I, the morning service did not get a chance to clap for Michael's evangelism sermon, so would everyone just give him a hand? And if you haven't listened to it, it is really, really good. Um, and it really helps reframe what you might think about when you think about evangelism and what radical evangelism is. Now, we're in this series, as we said, called Radical Discipleship. Discipleship simply means to be a follower or to learn how to follow Jesus. And we have rooted it in this passage in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, that, where Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, there's, you have to deny yourself. And then there's this regular discipline of taking up your cross. And if you just read that, you realize that this is a radical thing. This is an extreme thing. It is at the very root of everything, this invitation to follow Jesus. So we've been looking at different aspects of that and kind of wrestling with those. We've talked about waiting and courage and following and evangelism. And today I want to offer you in beginning this beautiful picture. First, I got to turn on my clicker. Okay offer you this beautiful picture. It's a little blurry. I apologize. But I didn't really want to show the commercial. This is Martha Stewart. She's holding a samurai sword. um, And it's a commercial for Pfizer and vaccines. And you don't really need to see commercials. We've seen those so many times. But she makes this statement. Do you know that unwelcome guest that everyone wishes would leave already? Right? This idea of the unwelcome guest is something that we are all familiar with. We talk about it in a larger cultural context about who is welcome and who is not welcome in our culture and in our country and in our state and in our city. We think about people when they come to our house or we engage them at work as welcome or unwelcome in our life, 
right? How we don't want them or we can't wait till they leave or they're annoying, right? Or hard to live with or hard to engage with. So we, we do think in this category even if we don't want to think in that category. Internally, this is a thing that we deal with in our life, the idea of the unwelcome guest. And all of us have been the unwelcome guest. We know what that experience is like, right? We have stories of being unwelcome guests. I think my story and my life is sort of that narrative, at least internally, the way I felt about my life because I moved a lot. And so you're always intruding on someone else's friendship and someone else's school and someone else's neighborhood, right? So you're, there's a sense of, I don't even know if I'm welcome here. One example of being the unwanted guest in my life um, happened in high school, my freshman year. I tried out for the uh, basketball team, and I made it at Rincon, at the height of Rincon's glory. So I, I, I made the team. But what's interesting is maybe some of you know this. Well, I know some of you know this because you actually teach at Rincon or UHS. But there are two campuses on the Rincon campus. There's University High and there is Rincon High School. And when I was going in 1990, there was a divide. If you were at Rincon, you were stupid. And if you were at UHS, you were smart. And the entire freshman basketball team at Rincon was all UHS people except for me. And they made it very clear that I was not welcome on the basketball team. So I continually got hazed. Um, had from the, you know, the most major, getting my nipples twisted by the varsity uh, basketball team, having to be sweep the floors after practice, to just constant needling. But it wasn't just that I was... Uh, a Rincon person. I was also a Christian, which kind of came out in that. So there was this double contempt for me um, in there. So I, was, I understand what it means to be an unwanted guest. I think most of us have that in our story to some degree or other, what it feels like to be the unwelcome guest. Now, in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about how Jesus impacts the world to bring us from being unwanted to wanted in talking about, in Ephesians chapter 2, how Jews and Gentiles both come together to make one church. And I just want to read that to you starting in verse 17, Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says this, He, and the He is Jesus, He came and preached peace to you who were far away, that would be Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, that would be Hebrews, Jews. But guess what? You could retranslate it and simply say those who were unwanted and far away and those who were unwanted and close. Because the reality is as soon as Adam and Eve decided that they would take hold of their own life and control and violate and disobey what God had told them and be pushed out of the garden, we as humanity are unwanted guests. It doesn't matter if you are Jew or Greek. You are unwanted because you have rebelled and you are broken and sin has, is chasing you around and you are chasing sin. And so here it says that God brought us close and he says, for through him, Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer unwanted guests, foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people 
and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. We are talking about radical hospitality. Martha Stewart is regular hospitality. Regular hospitality, when we hear that word, we think, ah, inviting people to my house, entertaining people, right? And I invite the people that I want to invite to my house, and we have a good time together, and I serve them food, and hopefully they like it, right? That's Martha Stewart hospitality. Radical hospitality actually has nothing to do with inviting anyone to your house. It might involve inviting people to your house, but radical hospitality is that all of us were unwanted, and in Christ, we are wanted, we have a place, and we belong. So when we talk about radical hospitality, what you and I are practicing in this world is the invitation to invite people to belong. And when they belong, to emphasize that they belong. So we are a people who emphasize that in Christ you belong, and if you are far from Christ or near to him and not yet part, you have an opportunity to belong, to be a citizen and to have a place. That's what radical hospitality looks like. Now, for those of you who remember in 2020, July, Sue and I spoke on the kingdom of God, and we talked about how the kingdom of God is hospitality. I am relying heavily on that sermon. I apologize if some of you haven't heard it. You should go back and listen to it. I will put a link in it. But this is a companion to that. So we won't cover everything that's covered in that sermon. But I want to ask you a question as we're processing through what radical hospitality is. Number one, in your story, where have you been the unwanted guest, friend, or person? I want you to touch on that in your heart, not just in your brain. I want you to feel, I want you to remember that moment when you felt unwanted. It's important. I want you to connect a little bit beyond your head. Number two, in this present moment, who is your unwanted guest? Who is the person or collection of people where you are struggling to say, you belong to me? I belong to you. You belong to Jesus. Where you're, you can't wait maybe till they leave or till they are less the unwanted in your mind. Who is that person or people and where have you felt unwanted? This is important if we're going to think about radical hospitality. Now, Peter, Paul, and Mary. For those of you who are older, you know who they are. Um, Nobody knows who wrote Hebrews, so I'm attributing it to Mary so I can have this title. That's the only thing there. It's not, I'm not making any statement. Don't, don't quote me as Eric said that Mary wrote Hebrews. It's just simply there for the, the point. The early church understood this idea of hospitality. They understood its impact. And so these three passages are, very co- are, the, are some of the prominent passages that talk about hospitality. So Romans 12, 13 says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Do not forget, Hebrews 13, 2 says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, 
For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. First Peter 4.9 says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I want to just make a quick observation about how the early church is starting to change things and how in this understanding of hospitality. The word hospitality simply means stranger love, right? The love of the stranger. But you might notice here that the first verse talks about sharing with people who are not strangers to you and offering them hospitality. The second verse talks about treating strangers as people you love and care for. And then the bottom one, again, is about people within the community. It's saying, offer them stranger love, love for the stranger. Now, if you go back to my old ser- my sermon with my wife, you'll understand how they're beginning to deconstruct hospitality in contrast to the Greek hospitality. But what's important here for you to understand is that actually the stance of radical hospitality is that all of you are strangers. That when we walk into this room, we are strangers, and the call is that we would be loved with a brotherly love. So, we are all strangers, and we're all to treat each other as strangers, and with that kind of love of family, because it's brotherly love that you're to offer a stranger. But here's a couple other things you might want to observe here, because this is the foundation of how the early church begins to practice hospitality, and this is really important. Number one, the word practice here is an ongoing pursuit of, really close to your very identity. Right? So you sh- hospitality is your very identity. In First Peter, the grumbling is not okay. Well, I'll just I won't I'll do it, but I won't do it without grumbling. No, it, the the word that's being used here, grumbling, doesn't really communicate. It's doing something so much that you 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 offer hospitality without any kind of guile. Like you just like this is the thing I want to do. Like I want to offer hospitality to you. I want you to be part of my life. I want to love you as a brother or as a sister. So this foundation influences and impacts the early church. Listen to what Justin Martyr says in 155 AD. He says, he's arguing for the importance of the Christian community within Rome to the emperor. And he says, we used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. Christian hospitality is what turned the Roman Empire upside down. Christian, um, Christian hospitality is why you're sitting here. Christian hospitality is why many of you work in the hospital. Christian hospitality is in every single part of what you and I breathe and understand to be good and right. The early church changed things, and they invite us into something different. And here's what they kind of stood on. Number one, they stood on the Sermon on the Mount. Most of the early Christian church memorized the Sermon on the Mount. But here's the essence of the Sermon on the Mount that changed everything. Turning the other cheek. They understood hospitality as the way to do revolution. So you know how the gladiatorial games ended? Because a monk stood between two gladiators so they wouldn't fight. And, he w- and the crowd was so angry that they wanted him killed, and they killed the monk. And the emperor found out about this and was so appalled that he completely got rid of the gladiatorial games. 
But this idea of martyrdom comes from turning the other cheek. And this idea of caring for the people who hurt you comes from turning other cheek. The early church lived it out. The enemy, the person who disagrees with you, the person who persecutes you, is the one that you offer hospitality to and tell them you have an opportunity to belong. Second is Jesus' view of children. In Luke 17, too, in talking about this, he says it would be better, and that would be for adults, for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. The early church believed in the image of God and they would go and dig through the garbage dumps and wander through the forest and collect unwanted babies. Because what you did, if you had a girl usually, here's why there's a lot of girls in the early church, a lot of women, is because they saved all the girls. They went into the garbage dumps and collected them and raised them as their own because of this verse. They stood on this. That's Christian hospitality at play. It is love for the stranger. The baby in the garbage dump is the stranger. Christian hospitality changed everything. The third thing and the story that the early church held on to was the good Samaritan. You know this story. story of a man beaten by robbers. Religious people walk by. They do not help him. The Samaritan who is the most despised walks by, stops, helps him, puts him up until he's well offers him love of the stranger. They answered the question that the ruler who was interviewing Jesus when he gave this parable, and that is, and who is my neighbor? My neighbor is everyone. Everyone is my neighbor. And they lived this out, and they changed the world. And you and I are the reason when we're here because of them. All that we think and understand philosophically and in our culture is because of Christian hospitality. It's powerful and it's life-transforming, and you and I are invited to continue this journey, and it's radical because going into the garbage dumps and collecting children is difficult. Deciding to not strike someone when they strike you is difficult. Inconveniencing yourself for someone who is going to be a lot because they're injured and wounded is difficult right? It, it impinges on our demands, longings, needs, etc., etc. So how do you and I practice what the early church practiced? How do we become hospitable people in a radical way? Well, number one, step one, and there are lots of steps, but I'm only going to give you two today. So, Step one is that we need to have the mind of Christ. We need to have the mind of Christ. If we're going to follow Jesus, and we've been talking about that, then we have to have his way of thinking and being. Paul talks about this in chapter 2 of Philippians. And it should be verse 1. I don't think I duplicated my 2 there. Verse 1 says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Christian hospitality begins with your experience of Jesus. Your experience of Jesus is really important. I remember at the very beginning of the series, when we were talking about radical courage, I said part of getting 
To have a radical courage is to be someone who is willing to tell their story, the story of them entering into the kingdom of God. Some of us have long, slow journeys into the kingdom. Some of us, if we're hit by a light, just like Paul or Saul who turned to Paul, like we have different stories. But when we entered the kingdom, if we think about how we tell our story and what we experience, what we will realize is that there is an encouragement that we stand on. There's a love, there's a tenderness that we have tasted. And Paul is saying, if you've had any of that, if you have just a little drop of the grace and mercy of Jesus, then be of one mind and of one spirit, of the same love. So part of step one is the question of what have you experienced? Where have you tasted the tenderness of God? Where have you tasted the courage of God? Where has that shown up in your life? And in particular, I would argue, in the beginning of your story. He continues and he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others in the relationship, in your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So he's saying, you've tasted Christ Jesus. Here's what that looks like once you've tasted him, a natural response to that is to not work out of selfish ambition, to lay your life down for one another, to have a radical hospitality, but you need someone to follow in that. Someone who transforms things. And so he says, your mindset then has to be like the king. And then he says, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something he used to his own advantage. So this is a beautiful poem. We sing it at the village. But he's saying, Jesus was God, but he did not consider being God something to trifle with or take advantage of. Rather, and I put my own words in here, but rather he made himself an unwanted guest. You and I. He made us, made himself one of us. By taking the very nature of a servant and being made in the likeness of, an, of unwanted guests. And being found in appearance as an unwanted guest, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. The beauty of having the mind of Christ is the invitation is to become the people that we feel are unwanted in our life. What Paul is trying to communicate here to us in what radical hospitality looks like, and we'll touch on this a little later, but is that Jesus is with the unwanted guest. Do you want to find Jesus? That's where he's going to be. You want to find Jesus in your own life? It's in the spaces where you felt unwanted. That's where Jesus showed up. I guarantee you, when, as you've been reflecting about, oh, this was a place where I felt unwanted, the question you need to ask yourself or ask Jesus is, where were you when I was in this unwanted place? Because that, that's where he's going to shine the most. Right? And so the invitation is very radical, and that is that you and I are to be like Christ, who gives up his position in order to take people who are unwanted, all of us, and bring us into community with him and make us wanted citizens, members of a household. So we're not just citizens of a country. We're brothers and sisters of Jesus. We're invited into the family. And that is 
if we imitate that, what radical hospitality is. Now, the second step is just a real simple practical one that you can begin to start. And that is interruption opportunity. I started it out with opportunity interruption, but that doesn't work very well. Neither does interruption opportunity. But here, here's the point that I want you to grab onto. You are going somewhere. Every day that you wake up, you are going somewhere. You have an agenda. You have a place you're headed. You have things you're doing. God may be in those, and I think he is, but I don't think he's in them the way he is in every single interruption that happens in your life. I would argue to you that all the interruptions are where you're going to taste and meet Jesus. All the unwanted interruptions. So we heard that beautiful, beautiful story being read to us about how Jesus gets off the boat and a ruler, a synagogue ruler, a very important person comes and says, my little girl is dying. Can you come and do something about this? Now we know how much Jesus loves children. He loves children. Where's he going to go to heal a child? And there's a large crowd following him. Now we have this woman who has been bleeding for like 12 years, unstoppable bleeding. It says that in, um, I'm not sure if it's in Mark or in Luke, that talks about how she has suffered under many doctors, right? A good description. She, people like, can't, <laughs> ancient times, when it comes to doctors, there's a lot of suffering there. Not being able to figure it out. The other thing is, when you're bleeding and it doesn't stop, you are unwanted. In fact, you have to stop for a moment if you know a little bit about what's happening here. People do not know she's there. There's no way people know she's there. Because if they knew she was there, they would part. She is fully disguised. Right? And she is determined, and she works her way up to touching Jesus, believing that she can be healed. Now, Jesus feels the power leave him, and he has a choice. He's got to go heal the little girl. He's got an agenda, a good one. He's, he's, he's caring for people. He's being hospitable in a sense. Right? He's going to care for people. And yet he stops. He stops. And he turns around and says, who touched me? And I love the disciples. They're like, everybody touched you. No, somebody touched me with intent. Right? I need to know who that is. And what's interesting about that is he calls her forward. She admits he commends her. But you know what he's doing there? He's reestablishing her in community. Otherwise, she's unwanted because nobody's going to know that she's healed now. Right? So he brings her back into community and says, you are wanted. You belong. And he's willing to be inconvenienced and take a risk that what he intended to do is not going to happen. So what happens after that? Well, they say, don't bother the teacher, your daughter's already dead. Right? No need. And Jesus is like, eh. And he goes and he deals with it. But what I want you to think about and just hold on to is the interruption part. There are lots of interruptions in your life, and I want you to reinterpret them. If, if you're a parent, there are children interruptions. Right? Those are divine moments for God to show up. But there are all kinds of interruptions that you don't want that change your trajectory, your goal, the place you're going. 
Well, that's where radical hospitality happens, is when you stop and give dignity to the interruption and look for what Jesus is going to do. So let's go back to the questions for a moment. The first question. In your story, where have you been the unwanted guest, friend, or person? Just for a moment, I want you just to hold that. Because that story of you being unwanted, it's actually defined you. You've told stories based on it. You've understood who you are. Let me go back to my story of being that basketball uh, kid who was harassed and harangued and didn't belong. So I chose out of that, though I was asked to join the junior varsity team, not to. Because I could not endure that again. And I did not think I was any good at basketball. In my junior year, I was playing a pickup game with the varsity point guard, who was on the junior varsity, who picked on me in freshman year, who did not remember me, didn't even know who I was. We were playing, and I was doing great. And it was a highly competitive game. And afterwards, he's like, you're really good. Why don't you join the basketball team? And he's like, oh, I did. I was on the freshman team. You don't probably remember me. And, uh, you know, I was like the 13th guy on a really good undefeated team. And uh, yeah, yeah. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, but you were the 13th best kid in the freshman year. He changed my story. He offered me, even though he wasn't a follower of Jesus, he offered me radical hospitality. He reauthored my unwantedness, which is what Jesus does for us as he reauthors our unwantedness where we felt unwanted. So in those places that you feel unwanted, the thing that should anchor you is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, where it says, consequently, you are no longer unwanted guests, unwanted person, harassed person. No, you are, no matter where, no matter what you're experiencing on the outside, you are in the kingdom of God, in the place that it matters, you are not a foreigner, and you are not a stranger, but you're a citizen you have rights in the kingdom, but even better than a citizen, you belong to the household. So wherever you go, no matter how unwanted you feel, no matter what you're experiencing, Jesus tells us through his actions on the cross, his resurrection, and the giving of his Holy Spirit that you are his brother and his sister and that you are a citizen of the kingdom. You're anchored in that. That allows you to offer radical hospitality because you belong, you can invite others to belong. Right. So this is what Jesus says to your unwanted spaces, to the places where you feel lost and out of place. Second question, in the present moment, who is your unwanted guest? Who is your unwanted guest? The early church lived on this verse. And if you're interested in understanding or knowing more about this, you can, Rodney Stark writes an amazing book on the early church. And if you want a less scholarly thing, The Air We Breathe, you can type The Air We Breathe into Google or into Amazon, you'll find it. It's a beautiful summary of what the early church, how the early church has impacted us and changed us. But this is the motto of the early church. So there's a parable about the goats and the sheep, and, and Jesus is saying, 
hey, you guys are the ones that helped me and cared for me and offered me things. And they're saying, when did we do this? And he answers them. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The person who is unwanted at the moment, and when I say this, I'm not trying, it's what you feel inside. That person is a place, is a person, is Jesus. Jesus is there in his most powerful and most tangible in those people's lives. And your call in caring for them and offering radical hospitality is to open up a space for Jesus to speak and to sing and to proclaim who they are and who you are. So my encouragement to you today is to keep doing what the village does. Because the village is awesome at radical hospitality. Now we haven't mastered it. We're not the best in the world. Some of you haven't experienced the radical hospitality of the village, but many of you have. And many of you have offered it And many of you understand what it means to come into the kingdom and belong somewhere, even in all of your brokenness and your feelings of being unwanted. And so I want to to say, you're you're doing amazing. And the invitation of the sermon series and the idea of being a radical hospitality person is to take it to the next level. Because when we do that in very simple ways, we get to taste and experience Jesus and the transformation of, of our culture, and of one another. Now, let me explain to you how this works over time because a lot of us want an action. We want to do something, and we want to see a result, and we want to see a great result. I cared for somebody, I was hospitable, I gave of my life, I was humble, and wow, look at every good thing that happened and how this person changed and how this part of the culture changed. And woo! Kurt Thompson, who is a, a neurobiologist and a, a psychiatrist, talks about how people change and how things happen. And he said the best way to understand it is that every time you sit down with someone or engage with someone in some meaningful way, you care for them, they care for you, your brain and their brain moves the equivalent of one millimeter towards health. And so health (laughs) comes when you continue over and over and over again to offer radical hospitality to one another and you move millimeter by millimeter until you look back and you see a change. And the way he illustrates this is he talks about how we, as people, need to continually go back to the traumatic things in our life the unwanted spots, and revisit them with one another, in the moment, all that kind of good stuff. But the way he he illustrates it that's helpful for me to understand, he says, as we do that, and as we care for one another, and as we walk into things with one another, it's like going back to your old house once you're an adult, the house you grew up in. For some reason, that house is much, much smaller right? The, the walk around the block is much, much shorter. Walking across the living room doesn't seem like a, a, a task that, that is daunting, right? That's what happens to us in our life when we're hospitable to one another, when we're radically hospitable, is that we help one another shrink 
the wounds. And they get smaller and smaller and smaller. And, and those unwanted stories that define us stop defining who we are. Right? So my argument for radical hospitality is not that you're going to see results today in your life and other people's lives. My argument is that 20 years from now, you're going to see results. That's crazy, but that's the invitation, right? So with that said, I have time for a little few questions. I can clarify things, or if the Holy Spirit is just saying things to you and you want to say something, um, ask me a question or go for it. Otherwise, I can pray. Eric, thanks uh, so much for oh. <laughs> uh, this uh, encouragement, man. It's, it's uh, got a lot of thoughts swirling in my head. I guess I have a question. When I think about like radical hospitality, I, I think in, in this idea of like an unwanted guest, um, I guess what kind of comes to mind is really thinking about like us as Christians reaching out to people that I think from in, in a worldly standpoint feel unwanted, right? That this world is kind of yes. deemed unwanted. And then like, hey, from the perspective of like we bring the kingdom of God with us, let us welcome you into an, you know, an otherworldly, i.e., you know, the kingdom of Jesus mm-hmm. and give you a sense of belonging. I feel like right now my life is more surrounded by people that don't fit that category. And it's a little bit like outside my control as far as like the people I work with um, that would not categorize themselves as unwanted and don't really have any sort of need. Um, and specifically, like, I guess, so my question is like, how, how do you show radical hospitality when you, to somebody like the Lord, we've got, you know, some people that an opportunity to, spend some time with some people coming up that's kind of outside of control um, that don't really fit that category, right? Like unwanted per se from a worldly standpoint. And so how do I show them radical hospitality when, when maybe they're not fitting that or they don't even recognize really their unwantedness, even right. though they, they don't identify with the kingdom of God? I don't know. Do you, do you kind of get what I'm saying? I, I, think, I think I know where you're going with things. Uh, so I think one thing is the first part of unwanted is – are they unwanted to you? Yeah. Right. So do you not want whatever burden, like the burden that, yes. <laughs> that there you go. So they are an unwanted yeah. people. I think that's, that's the first part of it uh, that we have to, because I think there is the broader thing where we have to go out into culture and, and yeah. say, hey, you, there's this opportunity to belong, and we can demonstrate this by walking with those that you seem to not think are, are worthy. Mm. And then internally like where our own heart is in the way that we relate. I mean, your own wife can become the unwanted guest in right. your house, right? Sure. Your child, like these are, so it's a part of a heart check too, I think is an element of that. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Any, any other questions? Oh. I was just thinking about, like when I think about who I don't want, what are the things in them that I don't want? And it's usually something that I don't want in myself. And so, yeah, I liked the idea of going back in our story with other people to the places we were unwanted. And it seems like, yeah, God wants to do a lot of healing there and renewing in our minds and accepting and, you know, storing things correctly so they're not trauma things. And then moving forward, I don't just have to change my behavior to want people. It's just easier because... 
I'm not my own unwanted guest as much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. It's really good. Peter. So I have had a lot of people that I don't like at all. Um, <laughs> and I really, I hear your confessions. So yeah. Continue. I, I really struggle with it. Um, it was a, a huge problem with, with me in high school where there were like, I could probably name six people that I just would like hate being around. Mm. Um, and then I started praying for them and suddenly God works through that and makes it a lot more tolerable at least. And, uh, in most cases enjoyable to be Mm. around them. So I wanted to offer that as a, as a way of helping with those unwanted guests in your life to make them more bearable to be around them. Yeah. 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 Well, I think part of uh, Paul's uh, imploring people that there is any kind of this, this, and this, if you've had any kind of experience of God reaching down to you unwanted and drawing you in, then can you offer that? I'm, I'm just thinking how this sermon, this, this topic relates really well to the evangelism piece of last week and how we can really, one of the, you know, great ways to, to spread the gospel is to be hospitable. Mm -hmm. It's to have people over to your home. It's to invite them in, even if it's, you know, you know, it's been a busy week or, you know, but taking space to, to show other people that you see them and it, it really does speak the the power of the gospel that Jesus sees you and, mm. and makes space for you. Mm. Um, and so I just, I, I'm really enjoying the, the flow of the series right now and how they're all kind of interconnected and uh, so, yeah. Thanks. Last question, anyone? One more, and then, yeah. Perfect. Can you talk about the Holy Spirit, how, like, the Holy Spirit's role in this, and, like, in your wisdom, I, and your, you know, you have, you're more mature, and you have a lot of experience with this, and it's just, yeah, I just want to know about that. Like, how has God moved, or I, maybe some encouragement or something? Mm. Well, for me, at least, I would argue that the first part of the Philippians passage is really important to me because I can't do any of this. I can't care unless there's a sensitivity to what God has done for me. And so in order for me to, to work at, in a life of hospitality and be hospitable, I really have to taste what God has offered me. And so the Spirit works there. And I think there is a constant reminding when I'm like, oh, I don't want to be in this situation or I don't want to do this thing or like I'd just rather have my own agenda right now. The Spirit reminds me of like, no, 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 no. Like, this is not your agenda. Like, you're not, like, do you remember what I offered you? Do you remember where you were? Like, this, can we take that and offer that to this person? So a lot of it is for me an internal work that the Spirit is doing and how I interpret what's happening to me and what, what's going on. So, yeah. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this community. Thank you for their questions. Thank you for their hospitality, for the way that they deeply care for one another. Um, Lord, I pray that you would shore up our weaknesses in that and, and magnify our strengths and help us to celebrate those. And uh, as we sing and as we eat, 
um, bless all that we offer you. And I ask that in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.